Welcome back to Stories from the Ashes, where we pontificate on good books and the stories that define and refine us. I'm Amber here with Amanda, and Val has returned again. Welcome, Val. Thank you. And today we're just going to be talking about some of the books that we've been reading recently that we have really enjoyed and think you might enjoy also. Amanda, do you want to get us started? Sure. This book that I just finished will make quite a splash, not really, because (laughs) it is not very highbrow or um, literary. It's literary themed (laughs) because I was at the beach last week with my family. So I read Death Comes to Pemberley. Oh, nice. If you're looking for a good beach read and you want a murder mystery that is not at all serious and with characters you already know. It's the one to go with because and it's it's clean, right? Like it's it's, it's clean. Yes, not it's a very clean. Ripper. It's a, no, I mean there's there's some um, Wickham is in this book, so uh, there's some of his trouble. shenanigans <laughs> that you can expect to see, but nothing more out of the uh, more inappropriate than anything that's in Pride and Prejudice. So that one was really fun for the beach and. <laughs> Just kind of a guilty pleasure. I don't like murder mysteries, yeah. but this one was fun. So because it was Austin, so because it's Austin, people everything you know. Austin is fun. <laughs> people you know, yeah. get a who done it. Yeah. and I, that was that was last week's beach read. I saw a meme earlier this week that said something to the effect of. Um, no, I think you misunderstood me. When I said I don't like drama, I mean, I don't like being involved in drama, other people's drama. Yes, sign me up. And so, <laughs> yes, very much like that. That's probably what it is. It's like, we know these people, they're our friends. Now tell me what happened again? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yes. Oh, very funny. much so. Val, did you have anything a little less highbrow than usual? Well, no, I actually thought Amanda was going to say she read Beach Read by Emily Henry. <laughs> oh, I I've never like, heard of that. Is that good? It, yes, but it's it's got some inappropriateness to it because it's a beach read. You just sit down and you read it. <laughs> and it's, you know, romantic comedy essentially in book. And I got really excited because I just finished it last month. It's, oh. not typ- it's not actually typically a book I would read. I don't I don't care for fiction. But I needed something fast and easy and just kind of shut my brain off. And I enjoyed it so much. I got the next book that we had of hers at our library. Yeah. I can't remember what that one's called. The Book Lovers, Book Lovers or something like that. Okay. Anyway. So would you, would you classify that as a beach read then or? Yeah, because a beach read to me is a book you throw in your beach bag. You go to the beach. You sit under those beautiful umbrellas. You have a lovely cold drink in your hand and you can quickly page through it. And when you get down, you're like, huh, that was cute. And then you're yeah. with your life. It was a, yeah, it's a great story. In my case, it has to be light enough that you can watch the kids. Yes. So they don't drown. track of right. them so they don't drown. <laughs> yeah. And yes. go back and forth without losing your place too much. Yeah, absolutely. And Emily Henry is an excellent author of fiction. I guess my friends at the library all read her. So they really enjoy her. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah. I should have probably recapped this at the beginning. So if you all did not um, 
have an opportunity to listen to the episode where Val was here before. Val is a secretary of the board for her small library here in Iowa that seven years ago was a private library and has segued into the public sector, which is a really cool conversation and very interesting if you feel like listening to that episode. But that is why Val is here, because she does a lot of reading for her library and her library. That's not the only reason she's well, here. We, we also really just like love her. talking to her. Yes. <laughs> that, was, that was why she was here the first time. The yeah. context of her being here the first time with Charlessa. But Val shared last time that her library is mostly Amish romance and not hardly enough nonfiction for her taste. So <laughs> right. I brought a book this week, Val, that is nonfiction that I think would work really well at your library. Okay. And I'm excited to share it, but you go ahead and share a book that okay. you brought. Um, the one I just finished, which I'm not, I'm not ever quite sure how you ladies do this, but the one I just finished was called Wintering by Catherine May. Hmm. I, you know, you want easy reads for the summer, but the books I want to talk about today, if we have a chance, are not easy books at all. This is my this, light This summer isn't a reading. summer episode. This is a, okay. a whatever we've been reading lately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have books. I've been reading books on crucial conversations grown and flown because I just graduated my first child, 13 ways to kill your community. You know, I'm doing a little research. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> my favorite poetry book from last summer, which was all along you were blooming. But the book I just finished called Wintering by Catherine May. Um, it's not an easy read. It was beautiful. I said to Amber a couple of times, this book is wrecking me. It's taking me so long to get through. And it's just a really, it's called the power of rest and retreat in difficult times. And I just think it's applicable for the conferences I'm going to this year. People are talking about finding joy in rest or finding rest, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. And yeah. this idea that there's ebb and flow to life. And I really love yeah. that because sometimes we get caught in the idea that, um, okay, things are going really well. This is normal. But actually, mm -hmm. this author says that's just one part of normal because there's so much ebb and flow to good and bad and good and bad all throughout our mm -hmm. lives. Absolutely. And it was, it was so beautiful and breathtaking, this book. And so it's called Wintering by Catherine May. It's amazing. So that would you recommend beautiful. that for if you're going through a hard time or? Or just understanding absolutely. how life works in general. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going through a hard time, this is a book that will help you feel like what you're going through isn't abnormal and other people are going through it. I mean, this lady's from England and she's talking about things that have just in the last two or three years affected me. And I think, oh, weird. You just think we're, we're ocean away from each other. Uh -huh. And yet here we are dealing with the same thing. But I had a friend recommend this to me in our little um, antique store in town. And she actually was not going through a season, but she had a friend who was. And it just helped her really understand that. Mm -hmm. And then I ran into her recently and she says, I'm now in a wintering season. And it just mm -hmm. helps me to know how to encourage people yeah. that are yeah. just trying to figure out life. And when you like, I'm finding when I graduated my first one, I'm in this weird, I don't know how to parent a child. I'm not actually schooling. So that yeah. feels kind of weird. But then to mm -hmm. meet with this lady who says, I feel like I'm entering a wintering season to know that I can encourage her without being condescending or patronizing yeah. or yeah. the good old American, just buck it up and things will be better type of a thing. Yep. There was just some really beautiful energy about this book that I just really enjoyed. Yeah, that oh, sounds like a really good one. So I, I that was kind of serious. So I don't want to go on to something funny, but <laughs> no, go on. But I, I did really like this book. Okay, so first of all, I was like, 
I'm bringing all chapter books and I'm going to be a big girl and I've read these chapter books. So I'm going to like bring them and talk about them. And I'm not going to talk about any picture books today. I realized this morning that the reason I've been so irritable since last night was because I had told myself that. And I was like so upset because I had these picture books that I wanted to talk about that really touched me. And you know what? Maybe it's because I have been in what feels like a fairly nonstop wintering season for the last few years, last 10 years, (laughs) 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 the last decade since the, um, well, probably like the last nine years since our, um, our eldest son really got mobile and his autism became very visible and was really challenging. Like it's just, it's felt like a storm ever since then we went from that to my dad passing to multiple miscarriages to, you know, our own adult diagnosis of all these neurodivergent stuff and more kids getting diagnosed and then our house fire. And it's just, I just want to breathe. And, you know, we've been home for six months and we just had to take home, take take down our uh, ceiling and our main living space because all of our, ductwork is sweating so much that it was going through the, the ceiling and it's just like oh come on lord either come back or just like, <laughs> <laughs> like i'm just so ready for a pause but in all of that the small bites of picture books are such a balm to my heart because that's about mm-hmm. how much information i can take in in some in a lot of days is like i can sit down and i can read a picture book and so This one I really liked. It fits with my theology really well. So it's by Alice Walker, who won the Pulitzer Prize and the American Book Award for the color purple. And I didn't realize that she wrote any children's books, but she wrote this one called Sweet People Are Everywhere. And the way this works with my personal theology is I feel like a lot of books say that people are good and I struggle with that because the Bible says that no one is good outside of who we are in Christ. And so I, I see people who do good things, but I think that's really a hard identity because even myself, like I don't consider myself to always be a good person. Like I'm very flawed. I'm human like everyone else. And I think that that can be a very confusing word to use with kids when you're trying to teach them the nuance of humanity, right? Like somebody can be, a really good person, but have this really big blind spot in their life, or, you know, it, it seems like they're doing good things, but they're really evil. And so, you know, how do we how do we handle that? But I think that the people who are sweet are not evil. And so this book goes through <laughs> and it goes through, you know, because you think of like grandmas, right? Like your grandma is sweet, and she's not going to hurt you if you have a sweet grandma. You might have a grandma who does good things, like not let you starve to death, but she's really a cruel woman. So I think that that it's a good, a good difference word. So this is sweet people are everywhere for young Byron who is getting a passport and it just goes all around the world. So we have a breastfeeding mother in Turkey in her um, hijab. And then we have United States and Afghanistan and Canada. And so it just says some of the people in Turkey are very sweet. And it's a sum. It's not all. It's it's some. Like you're going to find some sweet people everywhere, just like you might find some evil people everywhere because that's humankind. So in Canada, too, some of the people are sweet. In Mexico, you will definitely meet sweet people. And it just keeps going all around the world. But something that I really liked and I had wanted to see 
sorry for smacking my mic there. I wanted to see when this was published. It's probably one of those books that tells you on the back page. That still throws me. Yes. So this was published in 2021. So I appreciated, given the nuance of life, right, that we have a page that says, and in Russia, in Russia, people are sweet. And then there was one other page. Oh, right here. If the sweet people were the leaders in historically warring countries, they would treat each other much better. And so I just, I thought those were very just good ways to talk about some of the hard stuff that mm -hmm. happens around the world. And, and then there's this page that says being sweet, they must not be disappeared. We are lost if we can no longer experience how sweet human beings can be. Oh, this was the one. So it says at the very end, promise me never to forget this, no matter how far you go or who sends you. So this could be a really good book to give to a soldier who is shipping off for the first time. Like they're being sent somewhere else and you just want to remind them people are sweet. Like don't, don't lose track of who you are and what you know to be true. And Alice Walker said that she wants children reading this to become familiar with the idea that other places exist. And then there's just this really nice interview with her. When did you start writing? Do you like to travel? Besides being a writer, you're also an activist. What kind of causes do you work for? And then there's notes on the illustrations that cover all the different places that are covered in the book. But I just thought there were a lot of places covered that you don't see covered a lot. There are a lot of places covered that historically are warring with one another. There's a picture of Palestinians and Israelis playing soccer together that says there are sweet people in Palestine, there are sweet people in Israel. And I just really, I really liked how it was presented. I, I think sometimes people are pushing one particular worldview or another, and this just wasn't. This is true. There are sweet people everywhere. Everywhere you go, even within your community, in different neighborhoods, you're going to find sweet people. You're going to find the not so sweet people, the get off my lawn sort of people, you know? So <laughs> I just, I thought it was really relatable and uh, a really good book for, for kids. But then that, that last line about no matter who sends you, remember this. It's like, that's, that's really good. <laughs> so it makes, makes a really good gift for people who, who are that deploying. That book dedication was to someone at the DMV. I, it one? makes me want, yeah. What, no, it said Byron, who is getting his Byron. first password, passport. Oh, so yeah, at a so government office of some sort, maybe. Well, maybe Byron well, is a friend like, going on his first trip. Yeah, Byron could just be her. <laughs> Her grandson or someone getting that their makes first more passport. Sense. I'm visualizing <laughs> her meeting this boy at this government yeah. office and being like, there are sweet people everywhere, yeah. even if they're not here. Listen, have you guys been to the DMV? Maybe that's where this book needs to be placed. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my. Um, Amber, I just want to say to you, you were the person last fall, actually, that you encouraged me to start reading children's books because it teaches you about emotional intelligence and it teaches you amazing historical facts and it tells beautiful stories all mm -hmm. within the span of like bedtime, which is about yeah. where my brain was the last fall. <laughs> and I am now a champion of those kind of books. In fact, we had a memorial come into our library and the librarian and I had already been talking about how are you going to spend the money? Cause it's her job to decide. And mm -hmm. she says, Oh, we're going to fill our children's area. Yay. And I'm really excited about that. So yeah. a book like this, I think, too, 
because we have such a polarized world right now. Mm-hmm. And I have to yeah. remind myself too. I yeah. mean, we just came back from Portland. So the Iowa version of Portland is that they're all a bunch of hippies and you know, whatever. And they're yeah. kind of mean and they don't like anybody outside of Portland. That wasn't what we found at all. It was so refreshing. So your book, actually, when you said yeah. it, I was like, I just lived that when I went to Portland, Oregon, yeah. such kind people, people who love humanity and there mm-hmm. are kind people. And then of course there aren't because there was terrible right, things yeah. happening while we were there too. So, and yeah. that reminds me a little bit of that ancient um, writer, Plutarch, always handing us good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because yeah. we, we live in a weird world where you're like good until you're bad. Yeah. You're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. Now we canceled you. You're bad. Right. Well, and there's right. not those shades of gray that, yeah. that we all yeah. need to see. Yeah. And, and I, I think of books, um, Purple House Press just republished The Bargain Bride. Have you read this, Val? No. It is a very interesting snapshot in history. So it takes place in Oregon and it involves a child bride because during the Westward expansion, if you were married, you got double the land. And so people were marrying 10 year olds and oh, just leave, leaving them with their families going out establishing a life and then coming back and getting them when they came of age at 15. So in this book, we see a 35 year old man, marry a 10 year old girl, reassure her that she gets to stay with her abusive sister-in-law and brother-in-law because she's an orphan until he comes back for her. So he comes back for her. She leaves with her mother, Shaw basically, and goes to his farm and Evelyn, Sibley Lampman wrote this and she handles it very well by having the gentleman who seems to genuinely be a good kind man. He has made a very nice home for her. He is well respected in the community, but he passes away that day. (laughs) He has a, has a stroke and dies. So now she's a rich widow and she has to navigate her in-laws coming back and wanting her good Fortune. I think they were her aunt and uncle. Yeah, I, I thought it was her older sister, but yeah, it could be her aunt and uncle. Um, but they want her good fortune. And then obviously a lot of gentlemen callers are going to start coming in the spring because she's That was fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the she's like courtship 15. rituals mm-hmm. among farmers are very yes. different. <laughs> so I think I could get on board with them. <laughs> <laughs> came and did all her plowing for her. And all her farm chores. did all her farm chores to show yeah, that they could run, properly run a farm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But, but in this in this story, there's a woman in town, Aunt Lizzie. Is that right, Amanda? I think it's Aunt Lizzie. Oh, I don't remember her name. We're going to call her Aunt Lizzie for the sake of this conversation. And she takes the young girl under her wing and everyone loves her and respects her and And she grew up during the white man Indian war. And so she has some opinions of native Americans having seen them kill her friends and family that are no longer valid. Right. So her opinions come out of this time of war, but in this, in this new time period of peace, it's racism right? She's just racist against the Native Americans at face value. So the nuance of Evelyn's storytelling is so well done in that we see this good woman with some bad ideas that Mm -hmm. come from her place of trauma 
And then we see that her nephew has grown up in a different time and place. He's grown up where he had Native Americans as friends because there was nobody else to have. And so his dad encouraged those relationships. And so now he even speaks some of their language and is able to trade and considers them to still be friends and has these different relationships. So as this young girl who has no experience really with Native Americans is battling this, this doesn't seem logical. It doesn't seem logical to me that two different types of humans would be so different from one another. And Mm -hmm. so then the voices that she's hearing are Miss, Miss Lizzie and Jeb. And this is what Evelyn does so brilliantly that makes me love her books is you have such a great view of the person's thought life, like as they're battling with different, different thoughts And then they come out at the end and they're like, this is what I believe. And that's just so good how she does it. And she does it with so many different things. She does it with how people look and are we going to judge people based on how they look in one of her books. And she does it with is somebody innately evil because they were born without married parents. Is that is the sin of the father carried down onto them and just seeing children Mm -hmm. like battle through that. And then in this one battling through, are you, are you innately less than just because you're native American? And so I just thought it was so wonderfully done. But but that's what I'm thinking with the canceling, right? Like a lot of people today would be like, oh, we love Aunt, Aunt Lizzie. Oh, but we're going to cancel her because she has this opinion about the Native Americans and is giving bad advice. Whereas it's like, it's more nuanced than that. She is a sweet person. <laughs> she is a good person who has personal trauma and had these really bad personal experiences and is clearly still struggling. And we can hope, we can hope that if she sees the younger generation interacting with people and sees that they are no longer at war. Like she probably still inside has PTSD and thinks they are still at war. And so her opinions are not, you know, even necessarily at large, but just like these native Americans in this community have tried to kill me before. And I Mm -hmm. still feel like this is happening. So just being able to read through that story with kids and be like, this isn't just cut and dry. These are not just situations where people are just racist because that's who they are. They, they hold some beliefs that we would we would look at and say is racism, but for them is probably really just trauma and to to just struggle through that in these time period pieces and not just judge them based on the lens of today. But I don't I don't even know how I got started on this, but I love that book. <laughs> <laughs> the Bargain Bride. It was one of my favorite books when I was younger. I love that, that at the end of your podcast, you give the list of the books you've talked about so that people like mm-hmm. me can go back. I don't have to sit and listen with a notepad uh-huh. in my hand and go back yeah. and find the books you've talked about. So list me- that one so we can. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So Purple House Press just brought it back into print. And I was I was so pleased that Jill was willing to to print it the way it was written instead of making edits for today. Because republishers have that ability, right? Like we see the good and the beautiful doing it all the time, making what they call clean copies where they might take out that someone was smoking a cigarette or might take out uh, a word that someone said, which I mean, that's their prerogative. And some people appreciate those stories, but I felt that the, that what somebody just reading through it, if you just read through it and did a word search and it's like, every time I see the word engine, I'm just going to swap that word out. The problem is in that situation, in this book, particularly, the languaging helps you know about the people who are using these words, right? So Mm -hmm. if everybody is just saying Native American, 
than the vileness of this Native American's white husband who has thrown her to the side for a white wife, you're not really going to see just how wicked he is and just how selfish he is and how he truly feels about the Native Americans if his language isn't setting him apart from the people who are friends with the Native Americans, right? So like if everybody's just like Native American, Native American, you're like, okay, well, they all just feel that these are Native Americans. Whereas if this one person over here is like, sarcastically and rudely using other terms that that just helps helps inform you about that person right because what comes forth from the mouth is in the heart and we need to be able to see into the heart of some of these characters and books so that we can know them faster so i really respected jill's willingness to print a hard book the way it was written so that older kids can wrestle through it the main character is 14 turning 15 when the book opens and that's probably the age that I would recommend reading it with kids is 15 and up just because there's, there's no need to read it younger because there's a bajillion books for younger kids. Right. <laughs> and this is yeah. a really good book to wrestle through with older kids and to, to walk and, through it with them. And, and that is the age when kids really start wrestling with what they're mm-hmm. seeing in culture, what they're reading in books, yeah. what they're seeing at home. They start, that must be a brain thing where they're starting to kind of piece their world together to make it bigger yeah. and broader and stronger. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even bring that book today. That was not one of today's books. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so what else do you have, Val? You, you shared some great book, titles. Yeah. This one called Grown and Flown was recommended to me by my friend Tracy. It's Lisa Hefferden and Mary Del Harrington. And she's like, I don't know, I'm hearing a lot of buzz about it. I'd like for you to get it and read it because you're going through it. So mm-hmm. I ordered it right as my daughter was graduating and I picked it up and read the first couple of chapters. And I was like, this is really for public school kids of which mm. I do not have. And I thought, so I'll just set that on the shelf. But over 4th of July, we too went on a little trip. And so I grabbed it and I thought, well, I'll just read it and it'll, it'll be what it is. It reminded me a lot of a book I had my daughter read this year for her senior year called Adulting which was literally like a hilarious book to teach you how to be an adult. So it was like, if this light comes on in your car, don't freak out and use swear words. Instead, (laughs) right? But it was, it's um, grown and flown is just from a mom and dad perspective. Mm -hmm. So the idea that like you, you feel like you've trained your kids really well. And then when you send them off to college, which my daughter is not going to college, but I am sending her into her adult life. The thing that struck with me is there will always be gaps. Mm, And I've been talking about gaps a lot with people like we all have it in our education. We have it in our marriages. We have where you can't know everything. I mean, that's the glory Mm -hmm. of life. Very true. In Grown and Flown, she was saying, make sure when your kids are leaving that they understand how sick is sick enough to go to the emergency room Mm -hmm. and that there's a phone call they can make before they go to an emergency room. But then this idea of like if they haven't connected with people they're going to go by themselves to this emergency room. And she was like 500 miles away from her child. The child comes down with a sickness and says, what do I do? And she says, go ahead and call urgent care. If they want you to come in, you're going to have to go. And this child just being in college a couple of months had two friends that are like, we'll go with. And it ended up being like spinal meningitis. This is like Mm -hmm. hospitalization, really scary, really Mm -hmm. bad. But in the first 24 hours before they knew what was going on and the mom is like, do I go? Do I don't go? Those friends stayed at the hospital. They contacted the college to let them know what was going on. So the college would be in contact with the parents. I mean, it was just, 
it's just really good, solid advice for yeah. like, for parents trying to raise good adults. Because I want my kids yeah. to have amazing adulting skills, but it never crossed my mind <laughs> that if my kids are away from me and get sick, will they know what to do? Because I'm just mom. Mm -hmm. I swoop in and I kind of do the mom thing and whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And of course, it talks about um, financial independence, understanding budgets, understanding money. Um, not living outside your means, particularly while you're in college or in the first couple of years when you're working full time. And I just think our country needs lots and lots of conversations about this because yeah. we can have our kids sit through a class in ninth grade in high school in the public school system or even have them take little classes at churches or at community centers. But really, your kids need to be handling money and they have to be making some of these mistakes in small order at home. Mm -hmm. So that you can kind of see the propensity. I mean, I have one kid who won't spend a dime. So she misses out on amazing opportunities and sometimes on hydrating herself well, because she does not <laughs> want to spend any money going into the store and buying water. When if she were home, she could just get a free drink of water. I was like, <clears throat> you missed it because it's 100 degrees mm -hmm. today and you should have gone and bought the water because now you don't. Right. Pay. And I have yeah. another daughter that the minute she gets a penny in her hand, it's spent. I mean, she already mm -hmm. has 65 things she's going to buy. So the minute it comes into her hand, it's mm -hmm. gone. So I think as parents, just having that ability to see the tendencies our children are going to take, and then we can gauge it accordingly. But Grown and Flown by Heffernan and Harrington, I at first was going to judge it and decide I did not like the book, but it turned out to be a solid read, like a little guidebook for like, oh yeah, I forgot to teach that. Oh yeah. So I'm going to yeah. hang on to it for <laughs> at least the next couple of years as a reference, because I've got two more kids coming up the gangplank and I just yeah. want to be able to hand them some solid things that I wasn't handed as a child. And I mm -hmm. kind of had to learn through trial and error. And then, of yeah. course, that idea of knowing that life is just about trial and error. Sometimes we can't teach yep. our kids everything, but I do want to set them off on a good. So good how far before your children are out of the nest, would you recommend reading this book? Like, would you recommend right before they leave or? right after or a couple years before? Probably a year before so that it's fresh in your mind of the things they're going to, they're going to come into contact with that you're, mm -hmm. okay. just to give you the idea that you're sending them out into the world and they're not gonna stay away from things that are bad from them. I mean, again, our propensity yeah. is to go towards those things like a little right. robot. However, I mean, I didn't, I read it this summer after my child has already finished school and is kind of moving into her adult life. but. I think it's good information for adults as well, just to like, <laughs> am I thinking through that? Do I have those kind of habits in my life already or whatever that's looking like? So I would say probably a year before you're going to. Uh, my kids are 14 and 12, so the two that are still at home. So I have six more years before my 12-year-old is 18. So after reading the book now, I can probably just make it more obvious to them when I make doctor or dentist appointments or when we walk in to the appointment to say to them, this is now your appointment. So go up and let them know what your name is and that you're here and they're going to hand you yep. forms and then bring them back to mm -hmm. us and we'll fill them out together type of a thing. It's just the things the moms do and we don't think about it because mm -hmm. it's just easier if we do it, just, you know, clickety clackety and get it done. But yep. to yeah. be able to hand it to our children for them to be responsible for their own thoughts and ideas, their own health, their own money, and be able to set them on a good foundation before they leave home. So I would say at least one year before your child is, but is leaving the nest, but then I'm going to use it as a reference for the next six years. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there was a lot of like safety with internet things as well, or as our world is changing some safety things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My guess is in six years, this book is going to be outdated. 
we're going to be in another avenue. And so then I'll probably find another one that I'll be able to pull from, or maybe they'll update this one to add yeah. <laughs> the nice. new cultural thing. So I've been thinking that the last couple of weeks in Ara's 15 and just being like, does she have what she needs? Will she have what she needs to launch? Cause we're thinking about high school now, right? Cause she'll start her freshman year here. And I, I keep coming back to, for me, I probably did not have educationally everything that I needed. I mean, I started college at 16. I tested in, so it wasn't, it was no biggie. Like I had what I needed to get into college, but did I know everything that probably would have been useful for me to know? No, I, nobody caught that I had dyspraxia and was really struggling with math more than just being stubborn and lazy. And so in those areas, it hasn't mattered because as an adult, I love learning now more than I did then. And so I have the rest of my life to learn anything that is of interest to me. But the things that I really struggled with were the areas where I was not taught to regulate my emotions. I was taught to shove them down and to be quiet. And I wasn't taught how to handle traumatic situations. We just didn't talk about them. And so things, things of that nature, I really want my kids to know how to handle them. Those are the things that I feel they're clay for right now that they'll really struggle as adults to not have. And so I think that's part of why I feel so strongly about all the emotional intelligence books is just giving kids even just, you know, a basic spine that they can then fill in through personal experience or watching others, but just to even be able to identify, oh, that's what this person is doing right now. They are handling their grief in a healthy way or, oh, they are not handling their grief in a healthy way. And that's, that's what we're looking at. And I know that we do a lot of, um, or because of me, <laughs> we talk about bereavement <laughs> and grief a lot, but one of the books that I always see most recommended in the group on Facebook is the memory box, mm -hmm. a book about grief. And I think I may have read it a few years ago, but I read a lot of books a few years ago and it didn't stand out to me. So I checked it out from the library again so that I could intentionally read it and have a formed opinion. But then I also checked out the treasure box at the same time. And so last night I sat down to read some books before I took them back to the library and Inara saw that I had the treasure box on my short stack of books and she walked into the room and added the memory box. And I was like, oh, did you like that one? And she's like, oh, you just need to read it side by side with the treasure box. I think that'll be important to you. And I was like, oh, okay. Inara curates for me. She's my own personal librarian. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. She reads through most of the books before I do and then she'll tell me, oh, you can just pass on that one or I think you really like that one. So... But she was not wrong. So the memory box and the treasure box are both very similar, as the titles might suggest, but they are written in very different forms. So the memory box is very much musings and thoughts. So the girl says, sometimes I wish I could still give you a hug. I would hug you so tight and a great big bear hug and never let go. And I, you know, she talks about making the memory box and I look around and remember, and it makes me smile, but I always think of you. So many things remind me of you. So it's very short lines and just her little thoughts as she's processing and the person has already passed. So that's where the memory box is. The treasure box is very much a living book. It's a full story. 
and it takes place before the grandpa has passed when everything's fine. The grandpa and the granddaughter are forming a memory box together. They call it their secret box and they put things that they find in it. And so you see the grandparents coming for visits and the little girl showing the grandpa the things that she has in her box. And the illustrations are gorgeous. Like I can just hear this little kid laughing in this picture as her grandpa is holding her snake skin and feeling all like about it the first time. And so then, then we go through the grandpa going to the hospital and her visiting him there. And then him um, seeing the, it says when nobody is around, I show him two new things I found for the treasure box. He likes them so much. He cries a little and just realizing he's probably crying because he knows he's not going to be adding things to the memory box with her anymore. You know, like she thinks it's the items were so moving, but it's clear he's, he's, he's in his own grieving process there. And then, then he passes. And then the first time the grandma comes back to visit, so it goes through the funeral and the funerary processes and how she can't eat the cakes and the pictures of him when he was much younger with smooth skin and barely recognizable to her. And so then the grandma comes back. And she sits quietly with the granddaughter and says that, you know, your grandpa gave me some things to give to you. And he told me that you would know what to do with them. And so it's three little trinkets in the grandpa's hat. And so the little girl shares her box with the grandma and they're able to remember together. And it says, I sit in Grammy's lap. I miss his funny faces. I finally say, I do too. Grammy says, we sit and cry and think about grandpa for a long time. I put the magnifying glass and watch in the treasure box, but not the little blue cap. We will use it when we go for a walk to find interesting and amazing new things for our secret treasure box. So then it's her and her grandma carrying on that tradition. So I really liked it because it was a full story. And I think that I connected to it better than to the memory box. I like the memory box. I can see how that would be really good. It asks some existential questions and just musings that a kid would have. So it could be really good for a kid that's just wondering why and is just going through the process and feeling the sadness. Uh, but this one, this one felt like it had a lot more hope and it also had the beauty of being able to see that relationship. So I felt connected to this kid because I know this kid's grief, her grandpa's who she lost, whereas in the memory box, like it could be anybody, which again, could be great for a kid because... It could be anybody. So they can imagine whoever they want into that space. So these are two just really good. If you like the one, you'll probably like the other of the memory box and the treasure box by Dave Keen. So is, is this the type of podcast where we can have conversations about? Grief? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. So that book Wintering by Catherine May. Yeah. So she talks about how culture wants us to stuff things down. So earlier, Amber, you were saying, you know, I just learned to stuff emotions. That's why emotional yeah. intelligence mm -hmm. is so important. And I think we're finding now after I keep saying two or three generations, because I think mm -hmm. a generation is 25 years, right? Is that does that sound right? I think so. So like three generations, 75 years ago, that was World War II. Mm -hmm. So people came back from World War II and we kind of have this idea of like, suck it up. They just went back to work and did everything great. But actually, we all know they had these coping techniques that maybe weren't the best coping mm -hmm. techniques. And then families started to falter a little and then the next generation faltered more and then the next generation faltered more. But this wintering idea with Catherine May in that book I had read talks about grieving what you thought you were going to live this ideal life. Yeah. And then it, it didn't happen. 
and then people are dying and you're almost shocked by it. Even if it's a grandparent that dies, you feel mm-hmm. shocked and a little bit like the world has um, hurt you, you in some way. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. really important that we begin having conversations about grief and we begin really kind of pulling into our grief a little bit to say, this isn't quite what I wanted for your life or this isn't, you yeah. know, we thought we were going to have more time with grandma and we didn't have more time yeah. with grandma and being yeah. honest with our emotions. I mean, right. we, we don't need to be toddlers with our emotions who really can't regulate them. But I think yeah. there is an honesty that needs to start. And I, I think maybe Amber, just because you mentioned it last fall, do things in our culture start changing because children's books begin being written about them? I'm wondering think, if that's a thing because I'm starting to see lots of things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in the book Wintering, she's, um, she's grieving that her through, um, an illness she did not ask for. And then the depression anxiety that comes with that. She's mourning and grieving the job she worked so hard to make herself feel in, so important in actually doesn't mm-hmm. matter anymore. And she ends up having to give it up because she can't physically do it anymore. And then yeah. she's kind of in this, who am I moment, which I think grief opens that up like, okay, who am I? And am I leaving a legacy? And is it a good legacy or is it a bad legacy? Mm-hmm. Are my relationships intact and in order? Cause we aren't mm-hmm. guaranteed tomorrow. So no. yeah, it's interesting we- that the children's books you just mentioned then are talking about that, you know, yeah. about big, hard feelings and hard things happening in life instead of like, just sweep that under the rug and let's pretend that didn't happen to say, right. well, it is happening Even- and we have to do it. I, I feel like even we have this internal dialogue, it's not even just outside people telling us to sweep it under the rug and move on. We have this internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. I have some friends who are going through a very hard time. Someone they loved and trusted tried to hurt them very badly, and they're like, I can't sleep. Well, mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't be able to sleep. You went through something really, really traumatic, and yeah. just sleeping like a baby's. Uh, not something you should be expecting of yourself right now. You shouldn't right. expect that you're over it, you know? Yeah. And can I ask with either of you, are you having middle of the night wakings up? Because that started for me when I turned 40, where at 3.30 in the morning, my eyes popped open, thought something was wrong. It lasted two full years. It just ended back in February, where from 3.30 to 5.30 every morning, I was awake And at first I thought something's wrong. It's clearly wrong. Then I thought, well, maybe the Lord wants to meet with me. And then I thought, man, my family's sleeping. I'm going to get the bills paid. I'm going to wash the dishes. (laughs) It like, it morphed into this thing that actually once my, once I realized it was going to happen every night, I was like, okay, well, this is what it is. And I had my little routine in place. And then my friend Tracy also said, in fact, it's mentioned in this wintering book um, that all over the world, cultures find themselves awake and they have created these little routines of prayer and of housework and of meeting together, checking on one another, particularly before technology. If you look out your window and you notice your neighbor's candle is glowing, then you just went and knocked on the door to make sure everything was okay. And I Mm -hmm. thought that's That's really interesting interesting. because it's, it's just space. It's like space is being created in our lives. And if we're not giving that space to go through those emotions or process, whatever we need to process, in our waking hours, then our body is like, knock, 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 3.30 in the morning. How is this time? Does this work for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I found that to be the sweetest time during my depression years a couple of years ago, that when I realized that it was normal and it was okay for me to be awake, because at 5.30, I was going to get tired and go back to bed for another hour and a half. And then I would need a nap. 
I'd need a 30 minute nap after lunch. But once I realized, oh, this is just a new rhythm in my life, mm-hmm. it let go of that internal voice that was like, what's happening? What's wrong? Why right. can't I sleep? Why can't I, you know? Yeah. I've been having that a lot lately. I've been going through periods of insomnia where I wake up at four and then I can't sleep till I go to bed at like 10 or 11 the next night. So maybe I'll have to consider that. Consider the rhythm is changing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you wake up at 4 a.m. every day, you have to go to bed at 10 or 11. (laughs) Oh, my word. If I woke up at 4, I'd be in bed by 8.30. What are you guys talking about? (laughs) Val, when you say your friend Tracy, are you talking about your friend Tracy or our friend Tracy? Our friend Tracy. Okay, so our friend friend Tracy. Tracy. (laughs) Okay, so Tracy and I have talked about that as well because Eric and I actually, we we struggled with my sleep cycles for years because he, as a husband who wanted to take care of his wife, tried everything to get me to sleep better, to get me to sleep more soundly, even with all the nursing babies and all of this. And I was just like, eh, this is just what, what is, what is, what is, you know? And like, it wasn't bothering me. It was my rhythm and, and it worked. And, but it became the struggle where he thought I wasn't trying that I wasn't like, that I didn't care about my health and all this, but I was just like, I, you know, it would cause me more stress to fight it than to accept it. So what you're saying about being like, what's wrong, that panic, like I just, I've never really had that panic because very early I read an article that was talking about how somebody had to keep the fires going and how historically there have just been people on different sleep rhythms and they were the people who would keep watch over the, the turrets, you know, in the castle at night and walk walk that path. And they were the people who'd keep the fires burning and, and people would, um, married people would get up and have relations in the night while all the kids were still sleeping. And there were just all these different historical and worldwide situations where people just like nighttime was not just for sleeping. So I, I've been like, you know, these people with ADHD that are just cycled differently from everybody else, and they're not even ready for anything to start shutting down until two. Somebody has to be that person because around two is when my kids stop getting up for glasses of water or to go to the bathroom. And I feel like the house, like, I mean, because they've gone to sleep and then they wake up and they just, they need something or they had a bad dream. It's usually at the beginning part of the night. And I was like, I would be so frustrated if I was getting woken up from my sleep for these things, but I'm already awake doing my own stuff, having my own peace time. And so it doesn't bother me when they wake up and need something, I can just help them and send them off to bed. And then around two, the whole house goes to sleep. And so not fighting against it has been really big for me. And Eric, of course, would still prefer if our sleep cycles all just nicely matched up. But I was like, I don't think you realize how much people are getting up until two because you're sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm more like your husband then in that sense. Um, The other thing in this book that totally made me stop for a minute, I have a friend in Minnesota, uh, Bobby, and she's been doing sauna experiences because she has one near her. And so in the wintertime, especially when she knows she's not getting enough warmth and sunshine, she lives in Minnesota. Um, she found a sauna and she goes and sits in it for 20 minutes. And it's been a nice experience. So she and I went and did that this summer for her birthday. But this book in wintering, she says she has a friend from Finland. And so they talk about the sauna, but the mm-hmm. sauna experience is enhanced because of the cold weather in Finland. And so mm-hmm. then she goes on this whole little dialogue about cold water swimming and the mm-hmm. whatever it does to trigger your brain to like, 
it like sends something to your brain, a chemical to your brain that your brain actually needs to calm down anxiety and depression naturally. And mm -hmm. so she begins teaching herself cold water swimming. I hate being cold. I live in Southern <laughs> Iowa for a reason. I was in Minnesota. I'm moving South. I hate being cold. But I thought to myself, I think there's something to that because every once in a while in the winter, I crave cold showers. And I think that's interesting too, where I'll have my warm shower, I'll do all the washing. And then I'm like, I'm going to turn it cold and see how long I can stay in the cold shower. And mm -hmm. she thinks it's like a reset, not only for your yeah. body, but for your heart and mind as well, because it forces you to like take a deep breath and be mm -hmm. shocked a little bit by what you're doing. And she also, she does these cold water swims in the channel. I think it's in the channel in England, but she says she won't do it alone. She realizes that this type yeah. of pain that you go seeking or this healing that you're seeking. It's very communal. It's communal. It's best with a friend. So she finds mm -hmm. one other woman who has actually struggled with anxiety and depression, wants to do the same thing. And they realize once they're doing it together, their tolerance for what they can handle is mm -hmm. growing. So at first they can only get yeah. in, submerge themselves and get out. And by the end of the book, she says it's no problem now for them to get out stand with their feet in the water for a while, go in for 30 minutes and come out. And this water is like 40 degrees Fahrenheit. It is cold. I yeah. was certified in scuba and the water was 56 degrees. And I thought I was going to get hypothermia and die. It was yeah. yeah, she just sees her tolerance for that. But she knows that it's also communal and that she would have never done it. And nor would the lady had they not been doing it together. And I think yeah. that's really beautiful. I went yeah. to school up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and the area was settled by Finnish people. And almost every house that was at all old was had a sauna, and the dorm rooms did too. So what? it was very communal. People, college students, everyone, everyone would uh, do the transfer back and forth between the cold water, the cold lake water, and the saunas. And it's very communal and very, wow. yeah. Wish we could do that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I. I want to say with the with the nighttime thing too, like two o'clock is an early night for me. There's a lot of nights where I can't get my brain to shut down until three or four. But I have found that those have been some of the sweetest hours for being able to encourage other people because it is well known on Facebook that I don't sleep. <laughs> and so, so I have a lot of people reach out to me that need something in the middle of the night. And I... I, I feel it's almost a ministry being able to be there for them and encourage them. Or if, you know, if they're sick and they're like, I'm too sick to even think about what to do next, like to be able to say, you should try this, this, and this. And they're like, awesome. I have all that on hand. I can go do that. But then it was able to be reciprocated a year and a half ago. Leora found a couple screws when Eric brought stuff home from work and choked on them and I was able to get one out and shove the other one down on accident, but we had to go in for, for it was better than her choking to death on it. Um, yeah. Swallowing it was the better option. So we, we went in at, you know, of course things like this never happen if it's not bedtime. So, no. <laughs> you know, bedtime, I take her into the ER and she ends up having surgery to remove this thing. And She'd eaten a lot of green beans for dinner. And so the screw kept getting hidden in the green bean skins. So what was supposed to be in and out in 45 minutes was two and a half hours of them digging through her stomach contents, trying to like find this screw. And when they came out, like every nurse and doctor that I talked to was like, 
your kid eats good vegetables. We can say that, you know, <laughs> it's like, yes, yes, she does. Um, but like I said, my husband knocks out. So he was home with the other kids and he fell asleep. And I felt so alone because like I couldn't reach him if I needed to. And, you know, what if something went wrong? And women across the country on Facebook stayed up with me until I got home at four oh. in the morning, they stayed up with me and they were texting every 30 minutes to get updates. And they were, you know, finally, like after two hours and 15 minutes of this surgery, I texted a few friends on the West Coast and I was like, this is where we're at with Lily. And they thanked me for waking them with the text so that they would have opportunity mm -hmm. to pray for her. And within mm -hmm. 15 minutes, they finally got the screw. But just I didn't feel alone. Like, and so I feel that there's that that community aspect of just waiting with people, right? And it makes me think of when Jesus just wanted his disciples to stay awake while he was praying, yep. yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, he's just like, all I wanted was to know that you were awake and like you were in it with me even that much. And like, no one was in it with him. He was all alone. Mm. They kept falling asleep. And so, so just knowing that these women were in it with me and that they cared and they were praying for Lily and that they were checking in and invested in that they weren't going to bed until this was resolved was, it made me think, hopefully this is how other people are feeling when I'm there for them <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of the night, you know, because like, it, otherwise the night can be very lonely because yeah. mm -hmm. there's, there's just less people on watch at that time. But mm -hmm. Val, you yeah. said you had a poetry book. Oh, yeah. I'm always interested in good poetry books. Okay. So last year for um, our reading program, I had just popped into a library around here, like 30 miles away. And I got a library card so I could check out this poetry book called All Along You Were Blooming by mm -hmm. Morgan Harper Nichols. You got a library card. How many library cards do you have now, Val? <laughs> I have I have four, but it turns out you're not supposed to have that many. You're only supposed to have one or something. I don't know. <laughs> you have a new bonus library card. But the nice thing is, is that rural Iowa understands the, the hard idea that like our little library can't get all the books and even the right. library that mm -hmm. I use the most can't get all the books. So you have to collaborate. Mm -hmm. So I think that's yep. a silly rule. Anyway. Yeah. I started reading this. So last summer, I still was kind of enveloped in depression. And so I just thought, I love poetry. And my friends are all like, you read poetry for fun? Like that was in school, but I love it so much. Maybe yeah. it's part of that Charlotte Mason education of handing my kids. Yeah. But I, and the, um, the artwork in this is so minimal and beautiful. And even that makes mm -hmm. me cry sometimes. And so I don't know. I just want to read one to you. It says, dive in beyond the reef. And what will you call it? What will you name this grand adventure? Will you call it Into the Deep? The day I finally learned to breathe. Oh, I'm starting to cry right now. Mm -hmm. The strength I did not know I would need, or will it simply be called B? For after all, this is what you are doing. You are discovering the courage living inside of you is not as distant as it seemed. No matter how this season ends, you will walk away knowing what you did not know back then. This year will not end like last year, nor mm -hmm. any other year before. And I just, every single poem made me ball. I was like sending yeah. Snapchats to my friend Shannon. And after a while, she's like, why don't I just buy the book? Because I think you just <laughs> sent me 280 Snapchats. <laughs> Everyone is empowering and beautiful saying, hey, you're in a hard season and it's okay. Yeah. Take a breath. You won't always be here. I just mm -hmm. think that is a message our country needs to know. I think women need to know it around the world. I think yeah. humanity needs to understand, just like that book where you say there are sweet people everywhere. 
-hmm. We need to know that not everybody is polarized. Not everybody is filled with hatred. Not everybody wants terrible things to happen to other people type of a thing. But seeking it out is like a little gift. It's like you can be sitting in a mall just watching people, right? Like Mm -hmm. or a park and be like, oh, wow, look at that. That person dropped something and the person right behind them picked it up for them. And that was really sweet. We forget mm-hmm. that humanity has a good side as well because our news will always yeah. hand us the yucky and the bad. But right. This one just reminds you that all along you were blooming. So the yeah. idea too that seeds, you know, you don't just get a plant. There's this whole process into it. And we always just want quick, fast, perfect results. And that mm-hmm. is not reality. Reality is there's hard and it's messy and it hurts. And sometimes you get a leaf that goes out this way and it has to be lopped off a little. <laughs> Sometimes you think you're going to bloom into a red flower and it turns out you're just a green plant with red undersides on your leaves. You're not going to flower at all. (laughs) So these are just some books that have really spoken to me. And I just love poetry. So I read this book. I've been reading it as my morning devotion. Don't tell anybody it's not super spiritual or Christian, (laughs) but it makes me feel like I can take a breath and be excited to hand that kind of encouragement to other women in my life that I know are struggling. Yeah. Not at 3.30 in the morning because I'm not waiting for yeah. time anymore, but other yeah. times during the day. Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I, I would push back on the thought that it's not very Christian because I think that our humanity is one of the most Christian things about us because we were created as humans. We were created with all of our emotional set. We were created to navigate on this earth and, God saw the creation and said it was good. So it is, it's good to be human. And if those poems are helping you in your humanity to better understand yourself, to have a better outlook on life, then I think it's, it's very in line with what God would have you be doing right now. Yeah. I liked how she said, what are you going to call this grand adventure? Because depression and anxiety does not feel like a grand adventure or even like healing doesn't feel like a grand adventure. A grand slog. Yeah, right. (laughs) I remember last summer saying to my friend, Tony, all along I've been, I get kind of nervous about things and I kept calling it anxiety, but I've been calling it the wrong word. This is excitement but excitement with this terrible feeling that I'm just going to be disappointed. I'm really excited about this thing, but it'll probably turn out bad. And I realized I had to change some of my thought processes. And as soon as I did that, I could step away from that a little bit and be like, okay, this is excitement and I'm nervous and that's okay. I mean, when you're going on a scary ride at, you know, a theme park or something Mm -hmm. and you get that feeling and you start to feel all sweaty and shaky, but it's okay to feel that way too, knowing that you're going to get on the ride. It's going to be safe and whatever. So I just, I was able to identify some things after reading that poetry book, just like, oh, I'm actually feeling excited. And this isn't something I would choose for myself, but I'm so glad this healing has taken place in my life and that there was a beginning and an end to mine. And it was fairly short. I mean, two years for depression is a pretty short time frame. but I'm thankful that I had those moments and I had the clarity to look into like, it's okay that I'm going through this, even if I don't understand it, because I'm still growing and learning. So speaking of of depression, I, I think it's really sad in our country, how young we're seeing it in kids. Like it's just younger and younger. Like I'm sure that the shutdowns and losing school activities and all of that wasn't helpful for the stability for a lot of kids. But I think that something that I see in not our Facebook group, but in other book Facebook groups is some of the hard issues that are being dealt with in kids books right now and talked about parents are upset about it. They're like, you know, my kid doesn't need to be reading about going to a therapist or my kid doesn't need to be reading about 
you know, anxiety or hoarding or any of this stuff. And it's like, that's great. Praise the Lord that your kid doesn't have to deal with that. But odds are your kid's friends are dealing with it or your kid is dealing with it and you just don't know. And this book, reading it could give your kid words to talk to you about it because maybe they don't know because it's like how they say that you need to teach your children the actual names of their body parts because if they ever have cause to tell you that something bad happened to them, if they are using euphemisms, it won't hold up in court. They have to know what was touched. They have to know what happened to them and where it happened. And I think it's the same with emotions. If we don't give our kids the vocabulary for what they might possibly be feeling or experiencing or thinking about, then they're not going to be able to talk to you about it. And it's going to suffocate them because it suffocated me as a kid to not have the word for things. Um, Well, and it'll also make them feel alone and like they're unique and that no one else is having these thoughts or feelings. And this is not a unique to you journey. There is nothing new under the sun. I flipped open a history book earlier this week from like, I think it was like the turn of the century. And it was saying, you know, why do we even need to study history? Like in the introduction. And the person said, because anything that's been done before will be done again, or has the possibility of being done again. Anything that's been done before has the possibility of being done again. And so we need to know about it and study it. Cause it was about like some wars that had been, I think it was about the civil war. Like why, why was the civil war fought? It's like anything that's been done before may be done again. And we need to know why. And so you talking about that poetry book, it sounds very life affirming. And this book by Cynthia Ryland is called life. And it's one of the most life-affirming picture books that I have read in forever, but it touches on some of those darker themes. It has all the, and the illustrator is Brendan Wenzel. He's doing all those picture books on perspective, like with the cat. Like there's two different picture books that he does that just are perspective that I think are amazing. The first time I read one of his books, I was like, I don't even know what's happening in these illustrations. This seems bizarre. I just flipped through it. But then I saw that it had all these awards and people were recommending it. And I was like, I need to like, actually look at it again. I looked at it again and it's actually, it's showing what a cat looks like from the perspective of other animals and how their eyeballs work. And I was like, that's why these things are distorted. Cause if you're like a spider with like a hundred eyes or like all these different, you know, if you have a fish eye, your view of things is very different. Mm-hmm. And, but that's great for perspective. Like we all have different things and experiences in our life that create how we view things and so if, if somebody can know this situation that was no biggie to you might be a biggie to someone else or vice versa because of your perspective, that's a really good concept to be teaching little kids about perspective. And then the other book that he does is about a cat and the cat's perspective of the world based on the house that the cat lives in and what it can see out of different windows and how it's made a composite in its mind of what the world looks like from those window views. But then the cat leaves the house and is just blown away by what the world really looks like. And so, um, so he did the illustrations for this book, but he just talked about how like life begins small, even for the elephants, and then it grows and it goes on and on. But then he talks about the dark stuff and it kind of reminds me of uh, Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go. It's like, you know, sometimes you'll succeed and sometimes you won't because sometimes you don't. But this one says, you know, life is not always easy. And it has this little tiny bluebird flying through a storm. And it says there will probably be stretches 
there will probably be a stretch of wilderness now and then, but wilderness eventually ends and we see the bluebird finally flying out of the wilderness. But it has this one page that I really liked and it says, and if one day it seems that nothing beautiful will ever come your way again, trust the rabbit in the field and the deer who crosses your path, trust the wolf and the wild geese who find their way back home. And I was just like, oh, that's like really good. And it's like all these know something about life, that everything is changing and it is, I'm going to cry, and it is worth waking up in the morning to see what might happen. Yeah. And it just has this little seal with the great whales. But it's just like, man, like if this is one of those books that I'm just going to start giving to college students leaving home, you know, mm. <laughs> when you're out there alone and it's getting rough and you're in a wilderness and it feels like, you know, the sun's not going to come back up. It is worth waking up tomorrow to mm. see what might come. Like it's worth it. Mm-hmm. It is like it, it's going to feel really dark for you. And it's felt really dark for other people before, but it's worth it to keep waking up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I just, I loved that picture. <laughs> but Amanda, I feel like, I feel like all of Val's books make me think like, oh, that goes with my book. They're all book buddies. And so I haven't heard I know. much from you. Well, I have one that that went with the um, adulting type, but I didn't want to talk over people. So um, you let me borrow Unbetrothed. Yes. And that very much seemed on par with growing children to leave the house and preparing them because in this book, she is a princess who is, I, I didn't feel like her parents actually prepared her very well. She's getting married and she just has to choose a spouse and the, and um, she can't choose the person she wants to choose. And so as this princess, she has to be leaving, you know, growing up and like, Oh, by the way, go pick a spouse now. <laughs> it's up to you. Here's a ball. Here's all your suitors. Pick one. And um, so I didn't know if that would, classify as a healthy preparing your uh <laughs> preparing your child but then she ends up going on this like hero's journey and is more prepared along the way to fulfill these roles in the future she's there's um some myst not mystical there's some magical type elements where they have these a lot of these people have these gifts that where they can do some sort of special abilities and she goes on this journey to find her gift. But that remind me very much of the preparing and she, she goes into this journey totally unprepared for the things that will take, that it will take. Mm -hmm. And um, she even, she finds herself in bad situations because she, she's not ready for it yet, but she becomes ready along the way. But that really reminded me of the, readying your children to be adults and it was it was very interesting there's a little more cuddling with a love interest that you barely know than i was like totally (laughs) (laughs) wanting my child to read about but for ya fiction but for ya fiction there was just some like very cute as he puts his arm around me as opposed to you know a lot of the more heavy stuff that is as but as the as the mom, I'm going. You barely know him. <laughs> <laughs> You've known him like what five days. <laughs> but at the same time, her parents are expecting her to just pick a suitor and get married. So yeah, for what it's mm. worth, I have a very good friend, and she 
has a little brother and her mom met and married their stepdad in five days. And it is now 30 years later and they are one of the happiest couples that I have ever known. But can you imagine being such a good man that you are willing to marry a single mother and her two kids that you have known for five days but like you're that serious about it and you are going to make it work. And like, I've known, I've known her for 19 years now. And like, he's just a good man and he was willing to take it on and knew that he could. And he did. And he rocked it. So I'm just saying, I understand your whole, don't put the armor up. I mean, they got married after five days, Amanda. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get that. That as, as a mother, I would be yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that go down very badly. Where yeah. um, it's more of a predatory. I'm going to marry you because I know you don't have love. No, it's not funny. It's yeah. not funny. No, I know. I've, I've seen it go very much the other way. We're like abusers. I heard my story was the outlier. Yeah. <laughs> I do. So, I'm just. I'm like. You. I, I know. I'm a little bit more of a prude. I love Jane Austen, and I'm more like the. E- more like the yeah it's okay if you don't kiss till you get married that's great (laughs) i know that's not realistic okay well amanda you made the comment that it's she goes on this hero's journey and all of a sudden this idea popped in my head i even wrote it down a hero's journey preparing your child to grow up because Mm -hmm. maybe i'm trying too hard to grow my kid up here's the Mm -hmm. list do you have all the things maybe what our kids need are hero's journeys isn't that why we offer them these beautiful books like have the hero's journey, read the book, understand where they're coming from because her parents yeah. totally unprepared her for life, but life prepared her for what it needed to prepare her for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, most of us Absolutely. don't just fall into a hole and cry. You know, some of us marry men after five days who are going to take care of you. And some people mm-hmm. find that they marry men they shouldn't have married even after five years of being with them. Yes. So yeah. a hero's journey. I'm going to do it, ladies. I'll be at a conference <laughs> later next year. That will be the title of my of my speaking thing will be a hero's journey preparing your child to grow up. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. I I definitely am somebody who just like reads the title of a book and maybe the back of it and then forms like all these opinions based on just that amount of thought that I've received and I I was reading a book on reading and basically was saying that's entirely appropriate like some books that is what they will give to you they will give you their title they will give you their subtitle and that's enough for you to now think and that's really Mm. the goal of books is for you to think right and so on that on that idea I saw an article that I shared with some friends last year because I wanted to read it and I'm just now realizing I never went back and read it but the (laughs) article the article was talking about how about how motherhood is very often the woman's hero journey and I was like, oh, so like I've been sitting with just that thought of the title and the subtitle of the article for the last year and just been like, yeah, like how many trials and tribulations and overcoming is there in motherhood? And then you get to the end of motherhood and your journey's over, right? Like that that journey's done, that that time period of raising your children. And obviously you continue mothering through, but like the vast portion of your journey has been completed and, Mm -hmm. and who are you at the end of it? Have you, have you overcome? Have you come out the other end, your own personal hero version of yourself? Or Mm. did you just quit at, at some hard point in the middle or, 
or did your friends come along like Sam and just carry you through mm. through different times when when you couldn't keep going on your own? But I just I thought that was a beautiful thought because I was like, yeah, I, it does sometimes feel like because they, they were saying, you know, women don't get a hero's journey like men always have these like things. And I was like, no, I, I'm with you. Like motherhood, yeah, <laughs> that is a absolutely. hero's journey right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. but did did either of you have like one more book that stood out to you that you really wanted to share? Otherwise, I was going to share had, my nonfiction book that I brought for Val. I had one more thing. Yeah, we were talking about uh, in previous week. We we're talking about how having a shared book in a family gives you a shared language, and yeah, yeah, it was so funny vernacular. because we were in Michigan over um, visiting family, and my in-laws were pet sitting for someone's dog but they were stopping in to walk it and stuff and so I wasn't there but my daughter was uh striking up a conversation with some older guy about the wing feather saga because not yeah the wing feather saga because we just read we just finished the third the monster in the hollows and so it was funny because my mother-in-law was like she's having this conversation with this middle-aged man like this is weird (laughs) How does she know how to talk to him? And when you have that shared, mm-hmm. the shared books, shared vernacular, that, is that what you're that looking also, for? That also, yeah, the shared vernacular also gives you something to connect with people who seem like people that you'd have a really hard time connecting with otherwise. Right. So they were able to share book recommendations. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. Um, so. I also love when our children surprise us. When yeah. they do yeah. things that were like, oh, you went and had that conversation with that person because mm-hmm. you both had read the book and had things to say about it. That's so And beautiful. it reminds you that they're growing up. They will be yeah. an adult. Absolutely. And <laughs> it's coming sooner than you think. <laughs> yes. We we had my grandma's um, funeral two weekends ago, I think, or last weekend. I don't know. That's all a blur. Two weekends ago, we had my grandma's funeral, finally, and... She was so lovable and she was friends with a lot of my sisters and my friends. So some of my um, sister's boyfriends or lifelong friends showed up for the for the weekend. And so one of one of the guy friends showed up and he's he's a pharmacist out in Colorado and uh, constantly reminding people he has his PhD, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> he was sitting there talking with uh, my sister Sharon and Inara, and Hamilton came up and he said something about how, you know, the the vice president, what, what did he say? He had some convoluted statement about who he thought had killed Hamilton. And he was like, Jefferson. He's like, I think Jefferson killed Hamilton. And Nara's like, no. And he's like, yeah, no, it was like, it was a vice president or something. And he like walked off and Nara's like, I just had to follow him. I walked off after him. And I was like, I think what you mean is Jefferson's vice president killed Hamilton. And he's like, yeah, no, I don't think that's what it was at all. And he like, he looks it up on his phone and he's like, oh yeah, that's who Burr was. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh, that's definitely what happened. He's, and then like all condescendingly, he turns to her and he's like, uh, I think that they made a movie a Broadway musical about it. Maybe you should watch that. And she looks at him and she's like, have you watched that? <laughs> he's like he's like no and she's like 
if you had, you would have known the answer to this question. <laughs> She's like, and for the record, my mom has watched that every night for the last six months. So I understand what <laughs> happened in the story. <laughs> and it's, like, it's true. Like, this is what we do. Like, Gemma goes to bed and Ara's up for another hour and... I'll be working on the computer and we'll just like watch the next few songs from wherever we'd stopped the night before yeah. on the Hamilton. It's just like our soundtrack in the background while we're doing whatever we're doing. But it inspired her to like go and read the landmark on Hamilton and Burr. And she's reading a biography on Jefferson now. And so like now she's getting the real history and she's really excited about it. And she's finding out some really interesting things, but that, that was her launching point. So when, when, Ian's just running his mouth about how, you know, well, if, if you understood history, you would know that this, this, and this happened. She's like, yeah, no, nobody. This, this, and this happened. <laughs> right. And maybe this movie you're recommending to me might be a good starting point for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as we're finishing up here, um, I do want yeah. to say thank you, Amber, because the last time I was on, at the very end, you were talking, well, maybe it didn't make the cut, but afterwards, we were talking about the book Rebecca. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just going to smile and laugh and act like I know what you're talking about because I don't. And then later you texted me. You and played you like, it very well. Thanks. And you said, you don't know that book. You've got to look it up. It's amazing. So it my public me. library had it. So I got it. I have coffee with a lady every week. And so she's like, you haven't read that book. Let's do it together. So just this summer, duty this podcast and your recommendation, I did read Rebecca. I read it Memorial Day. It took me five and a half hours to read that giant book. It is still messing with my brain a little bit. I initially told you I did not like that story, but I am still thinking about it seven weeks yeah. later. Yeah, it stays with you. Yeah. And um, my friend and I got together at a coffee shop and she had printed out questions to talk about of things I hadn't even thought about. Like, does this represent this? And does this represent so that was another fascinating two-hour conversation we had about it. And I think this weekend, my husband said, let's sit down and watch that movie because my friend says it does deviate from the book. But he says, you have talked about that book enough now. I want to see the movie and then I want to know what you think. <laughs> Is he going to read the book first? He will not Sorry. read the book first, so but he will see watch, the movie. And if that intrigues him, then he'll listen watch to the Watch the Hitchcock okay. movie. Watch the Hitchcock movie with him. because it, Oh, it's not Hitchcock. Who is it? Who made Rebecca? I don't know. There's I, a new one. Are you talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's like the old black and white one. Watch the old black and white one first. Should we watch it the is, old one? Okay. Yes. It's so close to the movie or to the okay. book that then then he will at least have a firm understanding of what did happen. And then then watch okay. the new one. And then you guys can compare and contrast together because he'll he'll have a good foundation right. for for the true story. So I'll I'll text you. Right. I think there may have been okay. a couple old ones made. So I'll text you the one that is really true. Yeah. No, I, I know. Cause I keep saying it's Hitchcock yeah. over the years and people are like, it's not Hitchcock and they're right. It's not Hitchcock. It felt like <laughs> Hitchcock to me as a kid. It creeped me out as much as rear window did. I was like, I can't handle this, but, <laughs> but I'm glad that you gave it a chance and read it. And I'm glad that you were able to have so many good yeah. conversations mm -hmm. with your friend because of it. And it is, it's, I think that's why I liked it because it's not just one of those thrillers where like you read it and you get to the end and now you have the answer and it's over. It sticks with you. It doesn't matter like yeah, how many does. years it's been since you've read it. If somebody says Rebecca, your brain's like, oh yeah, that, that was an experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is Danvers. Yes. I actually, I saw on, um, I saw a sticker the other day that just had Mrs. Danvers and like all these flames behind it. And it's like team Rebecca. 
<laughs> I have oh, that's awesome. I have a seed packet of Danvers carrots, and I can't stop thinking about Rebecca when I see yeah. them. <laughs> Should I that's eat these? So funny. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the nonfiction book review and then we will wrap up. So this book is hysterical. Hysterical. I called Tracy last night. I FaceTimed her and read it to her and the kids at bedtime. And when I got to the funny part, she was like, I thought I misheard you. Like there was no way that's what happened. And I was like, oh, that's what happened. So this book is called Almost Nothing, Yet Everything. Its subtitle is something like a book about water. I believe that's what the subtitle is. So it's just, very, oh yes, a book about water is the subtitle. It's just very proper. The back of the book says, this is a book about water and how it is the source of everything, but also inside all that is alive. It's a story that immerses the reader into the lushness of nature and the sparkling flow of life. It's about paying attention and honoring the element, just oxygen and hydrogen that allows us to be. Okay, I'm gonna tell our listeners if you want to read a very funny book, check out Almost Nothing Yet Everything from your library and read it with your kids. And you probably want to end the podcast now. This is the last book we're talking about. You can walk away because um, I'm going to spoil it right now. So this is your spoiler <laughs> notice for Almost Nothing Yet Everything. First of all, this is one of the most lusciously illustrated books I have read in forever. I just want to sit and look at the brush strokes for a very long time. And Tracy kept saying that. She's like, that is so beautiful. And it is. So I think it's really cool how the illustrator does these like crayon outlines, like makes its own, their own picture frame mm -hmm. on all the illustrations, which is just a fun little thing. And the authors are Chinese. And I thought they were Hispanic. I didn't look. Um, I thought it was a Hispanic book because I thought these were sombreros that these two characters are wearing in every picture, oh. but now I think they're umbrellas and I need to like research it and figure out what exactly they are because like in this, right, it looks like they are on their heads. And I thought that they were just these really awesome sombreros, but then in other pictures, they're like over their shoulders or like next to them. And it's not very <laughs> clear, but so they have these not sombreros and the author and illustrator are both from provinces. But that looks like a sombrero reflection in the water. Okay not sombreros. So um, it's, but it's this beautiful story. So if I was putting together a Charlotte Mason curriculum, I would read this book right next to a drop of water because that's mm. how I roll. And this book says things, it's this beautiful poem. It runs clearer than anything. It has no color, but it can be any color. Are these illustrations not gorgeous? Like mm. I'm pretty sure these are oil paintings. Mm. Like if you look at the brush strokes going on here, it's just beautiful. It has no shape, but can take any shape. You can touch it, but you can't hold it. Even if you slice into it, it won't be cut. It can slip through your fingers like it's nothing at all, but life would be unthinkable without it. How beautiful is that? Mm. This hands pooling water. So it goes on and on. It's just beautiful. It talks about how it's just hydrogen and oxygen. It flows like tears. It rains down like falling stars. Cascades and courses. It fills and overflows. Only oxygen and hydrogen. Simple as can be. Keeps going. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It is the pee of life. Then the child asks, is it the pee pee of the gods? It sure is, I answered. And then I wrote this poem. 
fuck is? It is a <laughs> I'm dying. It's all these gorgeous illustrations. This beautiful poem about life and water and it's just stunning. These little ducks in the water. Like, it's gorgeous. The poem's gorgeous. <laughs> but let us not forget that water is just the pee of life. <laughs> what just happened? Yes. <laughs> so, so I read to Tracy and I'm like, it is the pee of life. Long dramatic pause. Nothing from her. And I'm like, she didn't hear me. And I continue. Is it, then the child asks, is it the pee-pee of the gods? And she's like, no, you actually said what I thought you said. I was like, oh, I said it. I said it all right. <laughs> she's like, what just happened? I was reading it alone in the van. I was guffawing. I was laughing so hard because I was so into it. I'm like, this is a beautiful poem. What a beautiful nature book. I'm so glad I checked this one out. I'm sharing this with all my friends. And then it's like, is the pee pee of the gods so yeah if i if i was putting together a charlotte mason list i would definitely put this book on it because the illustrations are gorgeous i'm still gonna like go back and look at this tracy was like i want my money back i was like oh no you don't i'm buying my own copy (laughs) and doesn't it feel like life like beautiful gentle educational funny Yep. See, we miss yeah. that part, I think, too often. Yeah. So yeah. well done to those authors and illustrators. I agree. <laughs> and like sometimes we just take things too seriously. And I think that if you have a kid that's yes. in the doldrums I- about homeschool and they're just over it, throw this book in. It will catch them by surprise. They will be like, mom has a sense of humor. or Dad has a sense of humor. And they'll be like, maybe <laughs> science isn't the worst thing ever because I just learned that water's hydrogen and oxygen. And the PP of the gods. Like, I can hold those two beliefs side by side. <laughs> Absolutely. So, on that note, thank you for coming, Val. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, everyone, for spending some time with us. And I hope that the uh, almost nothing yet everything book brightened your day instead of ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> And go ahead and look at the show notes. We'll have all the books listed that we talked about here today. And we will also have a link to the other episode that Val was in if you want to hear more about the private library going public. And we want to remind you that the stories are truer than true. And have a great afternoon. Mm